Welcome back, everybody, to yet another week of Carpool Q&A. Here I'm with Pastor Tom. Get in the frame, Tom. Yeah, yeah I'm here. I'm here. Tom, Tom's here. I'm getting into the emergency position. <laughs> <laughs> We're driving up to Hope Reform Baptist Church, Underwood. Tom's just preached at the Gold Coast Church Plant. How, how's the church plant going, Tom? We're about six weeks in. How, how's it going? What's oh, it's, your... yeah, it's good. It's good. We are... Uh, uh, the last couple of weeks, well, actually right now, we're in between doing two sermons that hit pretty heavy on Jesus' judgment in his church. Mm. Jesus is threatening to kill people, uh, blazing eyes, sword out of his mouth, stuff like that. So they're good. I love preaching Revelation. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that makes me a bit masochistic to say that I'm, I'm just loving preaching these letters, but I really am. I, I, they're well-received. Our people you know, love the Bible, pre- preach Jesus out of the Bible, and it's always a good Sunday, so it's good. The plant itself is going well. It's um, you know, got good. Uh, I guess the a question is how do you how do you measure it? What are what are the metrics you're looking for in a church? Yeah. Um, one thing right from the get go, are the same people returning? Right? <laughs> people who are coming, are they coming back, or are they deciding to sneak out elsewhere? They were keen on the church plant, and then they really, you know, they got a taste of it and thought, nah. So, you know, the same people coming back. One of the other metrics I look for is a wide demographical range, I guess, of, of Christians and their spiritual life. So we've got some new Christians there. We've got some people who have uh, been Christians for a long time, been coming around to the reform side of things in recent years. And so this is going to be, you know, really the first reform church they're a part of. Some younger people, some older people, uh, some families, some singles. So, you know, good demographics. Happy, happy with the way God's bringing people in. Yep. A lot of the people, as you you would know, probably our listeners don't, a lot of the people who are going to the Gold Coast, and so that's their home church, started coming to Hope before we had the Gold Coast service. And so it's a little bit of that funny demographic where maybe about 10, 15 people are down there who might feel like, well, they go to the morning in Logan and then come down here as well, when really that's their church. They just attend, they just visit in the morning up to Logan. You know, so my, most of the people that were there today are Gold Coasting people. Um, I don't know what you call them, Gold Coastians. Um, yeah, what, what we want to see is um, more people coming from our evangelism among our friends, yeah. old schoolmates, college mates, and family. We want to see other people's households and natural organic connections start coming more. Yep. We want to see more people coming from evangelism, which we've had a bunch. Yep. Uh, had a few. You know, yeah, you know, a handful of people coming from evangelism and visiting, and that's good. Uh, but of course, we want to see also new converts coming through either in converted in the evangelism, converted by coming to the Bible study, or converted by coming to church. Um, uh, that's you know, that's our prayer. That's where we want to see the majority of the growth. Yeah. So, so I'm happy with how things are going. God, yeah. God is good. God's growing and blessing the people and bringing a lot of new people into different roles of service. You know, that's one of the big things in a small church. Every need that comes up, there's really nowhere to run. <laughs> the deacon or the, the elder can just point at somebody and people have a new ministry calling for their life. So, mm. uh, no, but there's lots of hearty, you know, enjoyable service. So it's going good. Yeah. So good. Keep praying for the church plant and yes, we'll see God do. grow it. So good. First, first kind of question related to mission and ecclesiology in the church is yep. how should we think biblically about short-term mission trips okay well they, they get a lot of flack i think um especially on the on the radical and and throw your life into missions and sometimes it's even the stricter reform guys you know there's always a pendulum there's always a spectrum sometimes people swing 
swing real hard and they sort of say, Westerners going into a certain country or nation or city, doing a bunch of evangelistic work and then leaving again is not really helpful. It's not really missions. Just stay home. It's the, you know, we need longer term stuff. Come for life or don't come at all. Okay. Adoniram Judson was big on saying, uh, uh, when a missionary joins, he joins, he needs to, he needs to have the phrase in his mind for life. Buy a one way ticket. You're not coming back. Mostly because people would die within five years of being in the, <laughs> in the, in the, uh, uh, South Asia's. But anyway, and that's all true. We, we, we need long-term people. We need people who are just set and, um, and devoted to a place and a people for a, for the long haul, no matter what. But that's not everybody's calling. So should should people who don't have that calling just not go? No, I like the way the question is phrased. No, just do it biblically. So of course, what we do, uh, what we should think of short-term missions biblically is not that. Well, by by merit of us being Western and richer and probably more theologically informed than the average person in a I don't know, South Asian or Asian church. Well, well, we'll be better equipped and we'll be more holy and we can just go and they'll be thankful that we're God's gifts to them. Don't assume that. There is a lot of bad things that have been exported from well-meaning Westerners who go to the to the uh, uh, poorer, smaller, more persecuted churches because we take our, our bad mindsets in. So don't assume that you're going to be the, you know, the Apostle Paul for them. And the church, I guess, not, not as you hit the ground, you want to have this stuff planned beforehand, but... But in the planning, the church sending, the church going, needs to be asking the question of the church local on the ground, how can we help you? How can we serve you? What can we bring that would be of a benefit? What sort of people can we bring that will benefit you particularly? Do you want everyday Christians who can evangelize? Do you want pastors who can help train pastors? Do you need mums to come in and help help train household stuff? You know, that would be uh, a very unusual kind of trip but you know what sort of people do you need what sort of resources do you need what sort of teaching do you need that's very important and of course i guess something else i'm assuming as i'm saying all of this which not all short terms will is that if at all possible it should be in relationship with a local church this is one of the big key things i just come back to every answer basically you ask about missions or church uh you know missiology and ecclesiology and stuff the local church is just it's God's plan. Like it is how God is doing all things for his kingdom in the earth. It's the central thing. It's his bride. It's the it's the army of God. It alone has the sacraments. It alone has the promise of the spirit. It alone is the New Testament temple. So I'm going to say again, even if it's a small church of five people and an elder or something like that, a small house church, the point is that you want to be able to make a contact there so that you have a, a local church to serve and plug into. And throw your converts into as well if they're a convert to the mission trip. Probably the the, the valid criticism on short term mission trips is it's rogue, it's go in, kick up a whole bunch of dust, often you know get in trouble with the authorities and have a story to tell your church when you come back, leave the local church in trouble or or unhelped, leave a bunch of converts without a church and then get back on your plane in first class and fly home. Yeah, we should not be thinking of it that way. Yikes. You're, yeah, exactly. So you want to be able to get there, help the local church doing yeah, explicit missional things. Mm. So an ideal short-term mission trip is working with a local church in that country to yeah. aid them. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So what... Yeah. You know, if, if possible. Sometimes if possible. you just don't have connections or you don't know how to get... Well, just rock up, 
and pray for a connection. Pray for God to bring a Christian across your path who can point you to a church. Mm. You know, but yeah, if possible, make the connection before you're there. Yeah. But what about missions trips that are mainly just about mercy ministries? Um, is that really missions? By going to a place no. to. No. Uh, so I guess, the, the, yeah, the principle is that an airplane trip or crossing culture doesn't make it a mission trip. Um, it's a ministry. It's a mercy ministry. Mm-hmm. You can say it's an acts of mercy. It's humanitarianism, if you want to use that phrase. That's a bit secular. Acts of service. Nothing wrong with that. But missions, as you know, historically and theologically, definitely has that strict aim of soul winning growing the church, doing doing the mission. It's great commission oriented. So it's it's seeking to either plant a church long term or aid the service, aid the, the aims to plant a church or go to another country to spread the gospel, make disciples of that nation. Well, yeah, usually that, that's probably the majority of the church of the church mission trips, right? You ask anybody, have you gone on a mission trip before? They go, yes. What'd you do? Built a desk. Took me two weeks. Built One of the this. locals could have been could have done it in half a day, but I did it over two weeks. You're welcome from Australia. Uh, you know, we've, we've joked, you know, and usually you live in their house for that two weeks. And eat their food. Yeah. They're doing missions, really. They're letting you come over. They're doing all the service. You, you get to have the cross-cultural experience, take your Kodak moments, and check them on Facebook when you come back. Yeah, so, like, it's totally valid to go over to another country and say they are in lack. So you see it in the New Testament anyway. Paul goes around and he takes up a huge collection because there's an area of the church that is particularly impoverished, which was yep. in Judea during the famine. He goes, hey, guys, chuck your money in. We should all be looking out for each other in this sense. I'm going to take the money back to him. Mm. Um, I'm sure if it was practical in those days, if he had an eight-hour or two-hour flight to be able to make from Ephesus to Judea, he might have told people, do we have any builders? Do we have any teachers? Do we have any doctors who can just come over for a weekend, for a week, and I'll zip you back? You know, the whole trip. The boat trip would take a week just to get there. So back in his days. So, yep. you know, it's not to say that that's an unbiblical thing to do. That's awesome. Yep. But but it's not missions. Unless yeah. there is the explicit proclamation of the gospel to souls, it's just not great commission work. That's what builds the church. That's what, that's what, that's what, that's what Paul did. And he didn't, it, it, it's not called Paul's fourth missionary journey when he took money to Judea. It's called per, Paul's first, second, and third missionary journey when he went around and preached the gospel because yep. that's what missions is. Yeah. And I guess just on one hand would be don't ever feel like doing good works to your neighbor is a is sometimes it can be spoken of as so opposed to sharing the gospel that it's, it becomes a sin. You know, you're out, you're sharing the gospel, there's somebody in need and those darned sinners, they got distracted and they bought the poor person food and they... They gave them a jacket. And they built them a house. Those humanitarians, you know, the greenies. That's not that's not the Great Commission. No, you know, and all of that. I, many, all great, all great missionaries in the past who went to somewhere, preached the gospel, used everything within their means also to sacrifice much to help the people there. Right? Yeah. Obviously, we do that. But you know, if, the way that we do short mission trips, like we'll be going to Asia, uh, South Asia in the in the future. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll just be doing gospel gospel ministry. It's, yeah, I mean, we, we're really leaving the, the mercy ministry to the guys on to the church that's been planted there already, out of um, out of hope uh, through our missionary Blake. They do the long term mercy ministry. Sometimes mercy ministry is just for the people going. I got to pat orphans. I got to feed some poor people. I got to build something. The people aren't all that helped. 
Whereas, yeah. So we, we let the, the people who can do it more more efficiently do that long term. And yeah. We'll just stick to preaching the gospel. Yep. Unless God opens particular doors. So the thing that makes a trip missional yeah. and missions trip is explicit preaching of the gospel to lost souls. Yes. Yeah. Great. Got a question about would you partner with another church in doing a church plant? Ooh. Okay, there's like there's personal questions the the principles to think about there. You know, I wouldn't get on with anyone well enough to be able to <laughs> you know, who's leading the boat, who's who's calling the shots. Then there's I guess pragmatic questions, would this even work? And then there's the question of like I also have to think through like theology, like what we have to ask what's where sort of the partnership is going. I guess if there's a if we're or if we're assuming all the ideal normal principles that we were talking about in prior episodes, where planning a church should be done under as an extension arm of a current local church. Yep. The person doing the preaching should be sent out from the local church. Uh, should be somebody recognised with eldership gifts, and you know. Uh, they're being sent out to preach a church into existence and then be ordained by those people, you know, uh, be voted on by those people, called by those people to be their pastor. Assuming all that, assuming that you really, there's really not a lot of room for another church to come in. You know what I mean? Like when you strip it all the way back to something biblical, yeah. where you have a, a, a council of elders in a local church who send out somebody they believe to be called. What is there for another church to do? They can't lay their hands on them as well and also send them from their church. You know, he's recognized right. as our church. You can't really do that because he's not a part of that local body. Really, the only room there is for partnership there would be resources. Would we? So, that, and that, that, that's yes, I would partner with the church if it meant resources. And they understood all I'm asking for is resources. You know, now maybe resources is training. Partner with another church and go. I, you know, I love the way you train pastors. Can you help train this pastor? But even then, that should really be the, the, the sending church's job. Yeah. Obviously, funds. Like, can you help pay for it? Can you help donate stuff? Yeah, great. Do you have old yeah. gear that can go towards this church plan? Awesome. But yeah, I'm really thinking, just as I'm thinking off the top of my head, I would really only do that if it was very clearly understood that the partnership that they were bringing to the table was in the area of resources. Because... Um, uh, yeah, I guess if your partner in authority or sending power or who he's accountable to automatically have a lot of blurred lines. You have disagreements. Who, who is he ultimately answerable to? Answerable to who does he need to bring his progress reports to? You know, all that stuff. I'd get to be confused. So I would say only in, only in resources. But, but if the question is like, would Hope ever join arms with any other church for the mission? Or are we too, you know, nose up in the air? Yeah, no, we're willing to, you know, we would partner with other churches. I just don't know what, uh, I don't have any, any, any list. I don't need anything that another church has to offer. Except the resources, give us that. Yep. But, yeah. What about partnering with another church in evangelism outreach? Or even sending out a missionary? Okay, so let's start with the missionary. Probably most of the principles I just said about the church will, will include, will missionary. also apply to the missionary yeah. because, yeah, theolo theologically, the elder is being sent out by a local church, mm. just like an elder is to go and plant a church. Mm. 
So yeah, the missionary needs to be, like, because remember, he's accountable and answerable to the elders that sent him. In that sense, he needs to have that one body that he answers to, the, the, the elders. But again, what about resources? Yeah, let's partner with, you know, send the missionary to another couple of churches, hold a, you know, some info nights or whatever to be able to gain support from other churches or other families. Yeah, as long as the sending church is in agreement with the, you know, the with the, the missionary that, hey, we're taking responsibility for you because we're sending you. So we're not going to hopefully rely on 90% support from other people. We're going to try and support you as much as we can. But there's nothing wrong with extra support. You know, you can make as, make as much support as you ever want. And you've always, you're always going to be able to put that money to good use on the mission field. So, yeah, if it means support and resources or, you know, they... Doing short-term missions with with other churches is absolutely good good idea because you know it's not a it's not a planting of a church yet it's not really an authoritative thing it's just going and sharing the gospel and then to the same answer on, on your home turf would we do evangelism with another church yeah yeah I actively invite other church other pastors to invite their, their you know people out to do evangelism with us get to have somebody take us up on that but definitely individuals like you know anybody that goes evangelizing should want to invite other Christians they know. I do I do always, you know, I mean, we had our dig at parachurch organizations and parachurch mission yeah, organizations. Last week. One of the other things is parachurch evangelism organizations. It's, they only exist because of local churches aren't sending out their mission, aren't, aren't sending out their evangelists. So why, again, why do they even need to exist? What we, what we should have is, I mean, I get why historically they, they start up. It starts out just as a good thing, a bunch of people working together, but then it becomes its own thing. It's its own institution. Now you're answerable. You know, you go out with these things. You're answerable to a team leader. And you have to, you know, sort of submit to his leadership like you would to an elder. Uh, I, I think, I personally, whenever an evangelist out on the street is asked, who are you representing? Or who, you know, who, who are you? The Christian should be able to say, I'm Sam, and I go to Hope Reform Baptist Church. That's who I'm out here representing. I'm representing Jesus, but if you want to know, like, you know, what sort of Christian are you, or who, you know, who sent you, or whatever, the answer should never be, well, Bob's street evangelism ministry sent me. Go call him. Nope. Here's my elders. This is the church I'm in submission to. I'm representing them. And this comes back to church membership, which we spoke about last week. Yep. That gives people, whether they realize it or not, that's the, 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 I think, the, the, the good sense in which you're saying, here's the church that recognizes me as a part of them. You know, a Christian should always be uh, representing their, their own local church if they're doing street evangelism. I think that keeps them honest and that keeps them in submission to no other authority other than the local church. Yes, team up with other evangelists. Great. Yeah. On the topic of churches working <coughs> together, having partnerships, yeah. we often hear stories of church splits. I want to ask nah. Never happened. Never. Never I don't happened. think that's ever happened. I think there was once. It was in Croatia. Yeah. Because they were angry people. Yeah. Never else. Never here. Give him a Croatian. Run. Uh. <laughs> or put him on your eldership so he's close. <laughs> mm. You know the old saying. <laughs> keep your keep your Solomon Islanders close. A, keep your Croatians closer. That's a good one. Hence the eldership. Yeah. So I, I want to ask about not church splits. Oh, good. Church merging. <laughs> so yeah. when <coughs> when would it ever be helpful to do a church merge? And how 
how can that happen? How how should that go about? Right. Let me give you the real the real answer. <clears throat> it happens the same way we were talking about. Uh, I guess if you're able to share, you know, partner up to plan a church, it just happens because you need to resource share. So the only reason there's ever church merges is because one church is closing down because it's losing its people, mm. or losing its money, or losing its building, or something like that. They've lost the pastor. Yeah, they've lost the pastor, and then everything else is sort of dominoing. And so in a last-ditch effort, they join up with another church. Now maybe that other church changes it. You know, they, they, have, they form a third church, which is now neither one of the original ones. It's a new name, new eldership, sort of which is a conglomerate mix of both leaderships but usually it's that one church is closing down and the other one absorbs it so that's obviously never ideal that like that's never the aim our goal is to to win souls train up men plant churches and then merge with that one on the corner why uh it's kind of the opposite of church plan that's that's the opposite (laughs) so you because and this is not just a dig at well obviously you suck because your church is closing down. It's a little bit of that. But really, the, the other thing is, that would be, that's not the kingdom move. I should never look at another church and go, I hope that we can join them. The reason I don't want to join them is not because I hate them and because I want something so distinct and so separate, but because I recognize that different local churches are doing different things. God uses different local churches, even if we're five minutes away or 500 meters away, to be doing different stuff. You know, they have ministries we don't have. They've got English classes. They've got this stuff. They've got that mercy ministry. They've got this outreach. They've got that preaching. Sometimes there's really not a lot good going on. But, you know, I wouldn't want to join them then anyway. So I can't think of a... It's never. I mean, let's just be honest. There's never been a church that says it's a goal. It's five-year goal is to be absorbed by another church. Um, It should not be the plan of churches to say, it's our five-year goal to absorb these other churches, right? We're not franchises. We're not CEOs. We're not businesses trying to take over a postcode you know we're churches we're each there's plenty of loss to reach we don't need to absorb each other so all that to say there's no as far as i know there's no biblical way on the how-to to do a merge no one wants to do it it's never the aim yeah it's sort of, it's more the now should somebody who's going to a church that's merged right oh we lost our pastor we lost our resources we had to you know we, we absorbed into another church should they feel like they're at a false church no but it's not ideal that, you know, the biblical, had the leaders done the right thing, there's always somebody to put in place after that leader. You know, uh, that's, the, that's the biblical New Testament way that it'll work. One leader moves on or, you know, whatever happened. There should be some people within the church who are equipped enough to be able to, te- you know, become an elder and teach the word of God. So it's a failure of leadership to not raise up leaders. If it happens to somebody's church, if it, you know, that's the providence of God, then it's not a... Um, it's definitely not ideal. No one dreamt of that or planned for that. But if that's what's happened, then, you know, cool, you've got a new church. If the leadership changed, if their past pastors joined with your pastors and now there's a whole different thing, I wouldn't even call it an absorption. I would, I would say they've mutated. You know, now it's a third church. It's a distinct body now. Yep. New members, new leadership, even if they keep the same name. But yeah, no, definitely not the, not the goal. Mm. Speaking of merging. I'm trying to get in this lane. I'm talking so bad about merging for so long. You decided not to merge into the turning lane. Oh, that's that's probably one of the best jokes I've ever made, Sam. It's a terrible joke. 
All right. When thinking about ecclesiology, that's the theology of the church, a eminent book is Ephesians. And I wanted to ask a question about Ephesians 3, 10. Do you want to read it out? Yeah, sure. Is that, is that New Testament? Um, yeah. Contents, oh, go to contents page and then you can find it. Oh, for, I'll, I think I got it. Okay. Ephesians, here we go. Oh, I'd start in the middle of a sentence. You can back up in verse 9. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, and this great uh, this grace was given, to me this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right. So the eternal purpose of yes. God realized in Christ Jesus is that through the preaching of the gospel, the manifold wisdom of God might be displayed to the rulers and authorities in yes. heavenly places. My question is, exactly how does the church display God's manifold wisdom? The people in the front row to the manifold wisdom of God in the church are the angels, the, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Mm. And so they're looking down from, earth, from heaven and they're ministering to us, as we know, and they are in the unseen realm. And what they see in the church displays the manifold wisdom of God, giving them that, uh, as we see throughout the book of Revelation, the response of holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with your glory. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, that the, the They are worshipping and praising God for what they see occurring in the church. Mm. Now, what they're seeing occurring in the church that gives them so much is, um, uh, I think on one level, the fact that such non-angelic and unheavenly beings are ministers of such glorious and heavenly treasure. So Paul picks that up in 2 Corinthians when he says, God has ordained that it is in the jars of clay that carry the infinite treasure of the gospel ministry. And it's guys with, with fallen tongues, with stammering you know, language, with, with failures every day, with mortality, who you know, in our own strength can't stand up to a low-level demon, let alone Satan. And then you've got these angels who can, who can wrestle Lucifer, who, can, who never die, who are glorious just to look at. They shine brightly. They're not entrusted with the gospel. They're not ever given to preach the gospel. It's us. I think they see us and, and what they're seeing through us is not our great evolution over time, but God's great grace that can take not just humans who are so far below angels in terms of apparent glory and power, but like he can do that. He's taken people who are much weaker than angels, but that he's, we're not just humans, we're fallen humans. And so one thing that the angels can never taste, can never know experientially, is redemption. There's not a single forgiven angel. They don't have, a, they don't have an atonement. Mm. They don't have a mediator. They're just righteous because they never fell. They were the elect angels preserved in God. And so they look at us and they, they hear us singing the praises, not just that God is great, but that God has redeemed us by his blood. Yeah. And they see fallen people who live righteous lives and have this process of sanctification. This is blowing angels' minds. All they know is once you fall, you're gone. Think of the angels. They fell, they're done. They, uh, the, the, there's no coming back from that. But humans, by God's grace, are able to be redeemed and brought back. Yeah, wow. Um, and I think in all of the... Uh, the other thing that they're seeing is, through our preaching, 
through our gospel ministry, through our forgiving one another, through our church discipline, through our planting churches, through our simple hopping on a plane and going to another country, we're building the kingdom of God. Mm. Him through us. Mm. We are we are displaying God's grace. We are ministering, Paul says, ministering the, uh, the reconciling gospel. Mm. That's mind-blowing to an angel. Yeah. How are we doing that? How, how is all of this going on in the mere human realm? It, um, it, it puts on display God's wisdom, his glorious attributes, and his grace. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I have to stop. I could keep going. Praise God. We're pulling up. And I hope, up. I hope to preach from Ephesians I'm gonna preach. Uh, in the coming, cool. within the next 12 months. See you all next week. Thanks for tuning in. Catches.